oh my god, and it's like scandal where there was that plane crash. Right, and he wasn't flying presidential plane. Right, he was. Or what if it's like that episode of Scandal where he's like on a plane? Are you joking? Did you just say that? Literally five seconds ago, I said <laughs> it's like on Scandal. <laughs> What's happening? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating LGBTQ plus pop culture. That's not it. That's not it. That's not the line. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. Welcome to One More Thing. Nope, that's not it. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Robert. And I'm Jay. Ooh, that sounds weird. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm... Nope. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating pop culture through an LGBTQ plus lens. So today we are talking about politicians, queer politicians, members of the LGBTQ plus community who are elected officials or politicians. I guess right off the bat, <laughs> there's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Spacey, clearly in a House of Cards, a very easy subject for us to cover, but we're not going to. Is this character gay? You know, as someone who's only seen the first season, <laughs> I have no idea. And I only watched it for, drumroll please, Kate Mara. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't really remember his part. I think he's like by and like hooking up with people behind the scenes, but I don't super remember. Another thing that we're not really going to talk about is that a lot of times queer politicians are in the spotlight for negative things. Not even queer politicians. Queer like situations in politics. Yeah. We talked about this in our season premiere of people being like, oh, Trump is like sucking Putin's dick or whatever. Recently, Bette Midler tweeted, Trump is flying to Russia to meet with Putin. That's a far way to travel for just for a blowjob, well-meaning, quote-unquote, queer allies do that shit all the time. And then at the same time, the other way that LGBTQ plus politicians get a bad rap is that it actually, I've noticed it hasn't really happened in a while. It, like, doesn't super happen anymore. But for a long time, it was, like, every time a really anti-gay politician would be publicly, like, the gays should die, he would then get caught in a gay scandal. That hasn't happened in a while. I think because they all mean it now, which is scary. Yeah. But also people keep being, like, like, oh, so obviously every anti-gay politician is closeted. Like, people say Mike Pence is closeted. It's so reductive to be like, oh, homophobia is just because people are actually closeted. And Well, let's not, A, let's not say that being closeted makes you evil. And also, mm-hmm. let's not reduce the threat of homophobic politicians by being like, ah, they're secretly gay. It's fine. They'll come out eventually. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about any of those things. <laughs> yeah. So I guess let's get to it. When we were doing research for this, neither of us could really think of almost anything about queer female politicians. There are stories about queer women in Washington, Mm D.C., like season two of The Girlfriend Experience. I didn't watch season one, but season two of The Girlfriend Experience was about this escort who works for, like, politicians and lobbyists and then falls in love with a woman who's a lobbyist and it's a whole drama thing. And they were a really hot couple and they ended up happy, which was great. And then there was a play at the public theater
theater in New York called Kings by Sarah Burgess that starred Aya Cash and Gillian Jacobs, which was <laughs> great news for me. Aya Cash and Gillian Jacobs played exes. And we didn't know, and I saw it and was like, okay, you really have to breathe before you see it because their first scene, they're in leggings and they're also lesbians and they're ex-lovers. And you were like, all right. <laughs> and then I was like, and you have to make sure that your seat is on this side of the stage because mm-hmm. it was a runway set. Yeah. Our friend was house managing it and I was like, I want to sit in this specific spot. And she was like, why do you? Oh, got it. Okay. (laughs) Hey, listeners. It's me, Jay. I'm here with my friend, Robert. Hi. You're currently listening to us talk about something. Probably you're sitting there being like, wow, I love this podcast. This content is amazing. I wish I could have more. Well, you're in luck. Because if you go to Twitter or Instagram and you type in one more thing with an A because I was taken, you can get so much more content. You might be thinking, man, I wonder what's going on on Grey's Anatomy. Head over to our Instagram, you can find out. You might be thinking, hey, I wonder who's running for re-election in the Senate. Head over to our Twitter, you can find out. That's a promise I don't know that I can deliver on, actually. (laughs) But we can deliver on the Grey's Anatomy because it's been on for 14 seasons and still trucking along. Yeah. Also, you can go to Facebook and click on One More Thing Podcast. And you can use Twitter and Instagram to tell us what you want to hear about. You can just tweet out one more thing and be like, I want you to do an episode about whatever. And then we'll be like, cool. (laughs) And now back to the episode. So the Hudson Theater reopened on Broadway a couple yeah. of years ago, and we went to go see their first show, which was... Sunday in the Park with George. Yes. And then we saw 1984 there, and we were like, you know what? We should see every show that comes here, no matter what, if it's yeah. good or bad. And now it's the home of the only musical that's ever existed, Head, Head Over, Over Heels. Heels. <laughs> But in the middle of all of that, there was another show starring Uma Thurman. You mean Rebecca Duvall? Yes. (laughs) Called The Parisian Woman. We had no idea what the show was about, except that the playwright was constantly updating the play with the daily news cycle. Yeah. Which never really was apparent. It was was never really apparent. I assumed that every scene would be like, they would be like, and Trump's Supreme Court picked this morning. But instead it was just like, they like referenced Trump twice. (laughs) I bet that they did it just in case something drastic happened. They could still like work around it but I don't even know when it would have been but anyway it's a very long play and I think it's only long because it was not great but it's Uma Thurman and she's married to Josh Charles Yes, but she is cheating on him with this, like, really famous guy. Oh, no, she's, maybe she's cheating on him with Josh Charles. Yes. Okay, she's married to that guy. She's married to Martin... <laughs> C-S-O-K-A-S. Sockus. He's oh, from sure. Lord of the Rings. Oh, who'd he play? Celeborn. Sure. Right. The Elven Lord. He's an elf and the husband of Galadriel. Oh, I think that's Cate Blanchett. Yes. Yeah. Look at me. Lord of the Rings expert. <laughs> so Rebecca Duvall is cheating on her husband with... She's married to Kate Blanchett from Lord of the Rings Husbands. Yes. <laughs> and she's cheating on him with Josh Charles from Lord of the Rings and also the Mysteries of Laura. Isn't it Josh Lucas? No, he's Lucas? not from... Wait, is it Josh Charles or Josh Lucas? I think it's Lu- Josh Lucas from Josh Beauty Charles. and the Beast. I have no idea. <laughs> no, it was Josh Charles. Really? Yeah. It was this guy from oh. The Good Wife. Interesting. He was hotter on stage. Josh Lucas. Lucas. (laughs) Trust me, I know my men. Josh Lucas. What's he from? Sweet Home Alabama, of course. Mm -hmm. And the Mysteries of Laura. No, Josh Charles is from the Mysteries of Laura. (laughs) He was on Will and Grace. Wait, he was on the Mysteries of Laura. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. So, Rebecca Duvall is married to Kate Blanchett from Lord of the Rings' husband. Mm-hmm. And she's cheating on him with 
Laura Diamond's husband from The Mysteries of Flora, played by Deborah Messing, played by Josh Lucas. <laughs> you guys got that? <laughs> they live in D.C., and I guess that Josh Lucas is a like aspiring judge. Yes. And, he wants to be on the Supreme Court. And I guess he like has networking problems because yeah. Uma Thurman takes it upon herself to kind of climb his way up they're the like ladder a DC in DC. Power couple, yeah. yeah. And you get it from the beginning that their relationship is kind of dead. Yeah. And she's been fucking this guy and he's like he in love with her. Lord of the Rings' husband. Yeah. And he wants her to leave Josh Lucas, but she won't. And there's like the classic, like the first scene is the two of them. And then Josh Lucas comes home and she's like, My husband's home. And the audience is like, <laughs> yeah, and he, like, comes down the stairs shirtless, and yeah. everyone was like, mmm. <laughs> the audience was crazy. It was like we were at an amusement park show. It was my favorite kind of theater audience where all they need to have a reaction is they just recognize something. Mm-hmm. Our president tweeted, and the audience was like, oh! It wasn't <laughs> even that. They'd be like, crest toothpaste, yeah. and everyone would, like, lose their mind. Yeah, and everyone would be like, we know what that is! <laughs> Okay, so then there's this other character who's yeah. played by Blair Brown. And she is an actual judge or the wife of a, wife judge. Of a judge. And they live in a mansion that looks a lot like the White House. And she has like a veranda patio. Yeah. And Uma Thurman wants to take her husband to this party that he doesn't want to go to so that they can kind of talk her up so that she can then give talk. the husband a judge. Yeah. Job. Yeah. There ends up being a scene on the balcony where we're introduced to Philippa Sue's character, who is the woman's daughter, who's in, like, an Ivy League school, and she's on her way to being, like, one of the top lawyers, and she's very smart. And there's a great scene, highly theatrical, I'd say, where they watch a video on a phone. We don't get to see the video. Oh, yeah. We get to listen to the video, but all of the attention is on this little phone that is facing away from the audience. Yeah, and it's just Philippa Sue's voice (laughs) while they all look at a phone. And we were like, oh. (laughs) Great. I'm so glad that and so we are miles away from the stage watching this and my shoes were wet and anyway it ends up coming out that the woman whose husband's a judge she's she's like there's a spot open and they're considering your husband but there's another candidate and like you really just have to keep pushing him but I'm gonna try and drop his name but like that's a space that I don't really like to mix with friends and in that scene Blair Brown went up on her lines and they got trapped in a loop (laughs) I don't know who went up on their lines that's true. Someone went up on their lines and Blair Brown and Uma Thurman got trapped in a loop where they did the same part of the scene three times. I remember leaning over to you and being like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Expecting you to be like, oh, well, they're talking about this because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't understand. And you were like, I actually have no idea. <laughs> and then we realized what was going on. And I was on the edge of my damn seat. Me too, because I kept being like, when are they going to break it? The first line in the scene and a line in the middle are like similar. Uma Thurman would give her the cue line and instead of giving back the line that would move the scene forward. Blair Brown would give the first line. So Uma Thurman, the only like response that made sense was she had to like go back to the beginning. <laughs> and it was awful because the set was very small at that point. They're really down center, sold out audiences watching them very intently and they have no idea what's going to yeah. happen. And then eventually one of them one. said the right line to the other one and then the other one was like, rah, yes. and <laughs> said it back. Yes. And then the scene kept going and we were like, oh, thank And we God. applauded. We were like, yes. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! 
So, and this is the point of what we're talking about. Yeah. So Uma Thurman basically decides to blackmail that family into making her husband the judge by telling this woman that she's fucking Philippa Sue. The woman's like, no, you're not. That's bullshit. And Uma Thurman's like. And so Uma Thurman shows her Philippa's nudes. (laughs) She's like, here are pictures that I'm sure you wouldn't want to get out. Here are emails of us like sexting, but over email. (laughs) Using like official emails. Yeah. He's like literally like White House emails to sex. Yeah. And then there were she alludes to the fact that there are videos, but she does, she never shows her. Yeah, which I was mad about. And we immediately went from zero to 100 yeah. on the interested oh, yeah. scale. I have some health issues, and one of them is that I have pretty severe allergies. So I have trouble in audiences sometimes because if people are wearing perfume or if people are, like, eating certain foods or, like, using certain products, my throat closes up. So we're sitting in the Parisian Woman, and it's during this same scene where they get caught in a loop. But it's, like, 10 minutes later because the scene was fucking eternal. I feel my throat start closing. And usually I know because first I'll smell the perfume or I'll like get a headache and I'll be like, oh, something's here. Like I have to step out and leave. So I usually sit on the aisle, but we're sitting in the middle of the row. Mm -hmm. So I can't like get up and leave. And also I was using crutches that day. So I couldn't just sneak out. And it's like a dead silent, like straight play. And also I had forgotten my water bottle Mm -hmm. because usually if I can like get some water that at least slows it down a little bit. Literally my throat hurts from talking about this (laughs) because I'm remembering it. I'm like wheezing and like digging in my back pack for my pills, something to cure me. And I'm coughing and my, like, I'm sobbing because I can't breathe. And then literally Uma Thurman is like, I'm fucking Philippa Sue and my throat opened. (laughs) And I stopped crying and I fully was like, I feel fine. Literally was like, zero to 100, completely healed. And I think about it every day. I have two responses to it. One, listeners, that's entirely true. None of it was fabricated or exaggerated. That's exactly what happened. Because it was shocking to both of us. Yeah. Because I literally stopped mid looking for my medication and, you and were just was like, like I'm completely good. fine. Yeah. The second thing is I'm going to admit to you something that I've never we admit to you. We saw the show six months ago. I know. <laughs> and I literally think about every morning. Like three days before that show, I was at the body shop headquarters yeah. and got all of these really nice colognes. <gasps> And was like, oh, it's raining. Like, I'm going to, like, smell like rain, whatever. I'm going to wear this cologne. First time I had ever worn those colognes. And, like, put it on. Not a lot because I'm like, I know how to wear cologne. And that scene, okay, so the part that makes me think that it wasn't me is that it had been a while. Right, that scene is, like, 45 minutes Yeah, in. but we were very close to each That's other. That's true. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I think that I just use this. And they, they're they right across from my bed. So every morning I wake up, I'm like, maybe I'll wear a cologne today. And then I'm like, nope, I'm going to see Jay. So every day that I don't see you, I wear that cologne. That's so funny. Just in case that's the cologne that caused it. Oh, my God. I can't wait till we see each other on accident one day and I just die. <laughs> So the rest of the show, which ended up being the bulk of it, is about this relationship between Uma Thurman and Philippa Sue's character. And they do make out. They do make out. There's a scene where they're opening a champagne bottle that was really hard for you. And Philippa, like, crawls on top of Uma Mm -hmm. like they're about to fuck and, like, unbuttons her shirt. And I was like, we have to leave. And it turns into, I don't want to say it's a power game, but Uma Thurman is, like, very strategically using this relationship. But Philippa Sue is, like, genuinely in love with this woman. Yeah. They don't really discuss it a lot, but it's made very clear 
that she has like an all-star boyfriend who she's set to marry because the two of them together are going to make like a huge power couple in DC. So she's going to be a senator. Right. And so she was like, I don't want to break that at all. However, I'm in love with you. And there's a nice scene where they talk about that and the struggle of it, which cool. Yeah. (laughs) But it's kind of really sad at the same time because Uma Thurman the entire time is like, I could love you, but. Well, I think the whole thing was like Uma Thurman did love her, but she was like, I'm so caught up in the political game. And also I want what's best for you. So I know that we can't be together if you are going to be a senator. Mm -hmm. And then she like sends her off to California and is like, you have to get across the country for me so I won't be tempted, which. Because Philippa's choosing schools. Yes. She's choosing where she's going to live so she can run a campaign. Right. And she had a choice of either staying. In D.C. Or going. Right. And she was going to stay, but then Uma makes her go. And their goodbye scene was really tragic. Yeah. And And, hot. Yeah, it was. Because they referenced having had sex. And slowly everybody in the play finds out about their relationship and it kind of affects everybody in a very different way. I don't remember how the play ends. Me neither, but I do remember that their goodbye scene is in front of both of the men. Yeah, and so they can't... And it's like very clear to everybody that they're in a relationship, but they still know that they can't really show it. Yeah. And so they are forced to say goodbye in this way that they didn't expect. And it was very interesting. And we were... I wish that everybody could go see it now. Well, they don't need to because we... If you ever ever want a reenactment, I'm sure that we can do all of it. Yeah. We should get our hands on the script. Uh. (laughs) Read it aloud. (laughs) Patreon bonus episode that's just this 27 minutes of us explaining the Parisian woman. You guys don't understand. We've been waiting literal maybe <laughs> after, a, a full year to talk we about we saw the show, we were like, we can't wait to talk about this on the show. <laughs> so that's a wrap on the Parisian woman. <laughs> yeah. Also, I want, I want to point out that we didn't discuss the Parisian woman at all. We just, <laughs> we just told you exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, there's not really much there's to talk not about. anything to say because about Because still, these are lesbians in the world of politics. Right. And Philippa wants to be a senator, but isn't yet. You, I guess you could also, say bisexual yeah, women. Philippa was... Phil- Philippa. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Philippa is probably a lesbian and yeah, Uma, and Uma is, is bisexual. bisexual. I just have another thing that we need to talk about <laughs> with a woman. No shade to Bo Willman, the playwright, but... <laughs> There were definitely a couple of lines where he was like, I just have something to say and just literally wrote it word for word. And there's a part towards the end of the play where Philippa Sue like turns to the audience, crosses her arms and it's like, the future better get ready because there's a whole generation of us coming their way or something like that. And the audience went nuts and we were like, what? There's a whole generation of who? It's about characters all struggling with how to match their ambitions to their ethics in today's world from different points of view. And there's a whole lot of racy love affairs in the middle of it. These are like real people, humans that make our hearts break and also we think are hilarious and incredibly entertaining. And also like really asking hard questions about today and and how do we put our best foot forward. It's a comedy thriller. I mean, that's really what I'm taking away from it. And the rehearsal process as you go through this thing to discover this play that, yes, exists within the world of politics, but is about relationships and sex and manipulations between people inside love and inside ambition. It's got all these different things sort of bubbling within it. In my list of TV characters that just should never have existed, <laughs> it's number one, the assistant from season one of Smash, whatever his name is. Number two, the son from season one of Smash. <laughs> Yes. And then number three, Cyrus Bean from Scandal. Scandal is, to be clear, one of my top four favorite TV shows of all time. What are your other three? Willie Grace and Happy Endings are tied for first. Mm -hmm. And then 30 Rock and Scandal are tied for second. Gotcha. 
And really, besides Kerry Washington, the only reason to really love Scandal is for Melly. Yes! President Melody Grant. (laughs) So when we were writing the episode, we were like, God, there's no queer pop culture at all. And then we were like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Every season, there's something that's like, Cyrus Bean is going to get fired or he's going to get replaced or he's going to die. And I'm like, here we go. Yeah. This is it. (laughs) Every time I would be like, yes, kill him. And then he wouldn't die. I'd be like, oh. (laughs) There's one part where he's like, going to be in jail for the rest of his life. And I was like, this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. And then he immediately gets out of jail. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me, Shonda? (laughs) And then he's the villain. And you're like, oh my God, okay, this is it. He's going to get killed. They're going to get him. And then they don't. And And he ends the series alive. I was very ready for him to die in the finale. And when he didn't, I was like, this was a waste of a finale. I was so mad that he didn't die, but David Rosen died. Mm -hmm. That was fucking bullshit. Honestly, I think David Rosen should still be alive. Abby should not be a widow. I honestly also kind of can't talk about this finale of Scandal yet. I know it aired like three months ago, but I still am really (laughs) upset about it. So the reason we're talking about Cyrus, if you've never seen Scandal, is he is an out gay politician throughout the entire series, no matter what his standing in politics was. Yeah. (laughs) He was still out. And he had a very weird experience in politics that I don't think is realistic at all. Absolutely not. He starts the series by being the vice president and he's married. Yes. And James Novak. And he's already married. He's already married. Yeah. James Novak, who's a great character on the show, who eventually dies. I don't remember how. He get well, we could go into it, but he gets murdered by Jake. Oh, right. <laughs> because he's going to, like, publish something yes. really scandalous. Yeah, but he and Cyrus were already estranged when that happened. And when he dies, it's like a big thing. Everyone is like, oh, my God, Cyrus, like, I'm so sorry to hear about your husband. And he's really uh, angry and upset about it. And what I will say for the actor is he does a really great job he in does. those situations. Honestly, Jeff Perry is a very good actor. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Just a terrible character. And he's also really well written. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then, so he ends up hooking up with this prostitute who he, at first he doesn't know is a prostitute and then he realizes a prostitute. And he's also being trapped by Portia de Rossi with the prostitute. Yeah. And then they realize that the only way out of it really is to get married. Yeah. So he ends up marrying this prostitute who's really good looking. Like Cyrus really lucked out with this. And they go through a lot in their relationship. They end up adopting a daughter. James and Cyrus had already adopted the daughter. Oh, got it. And Michael's the stepdad. Does he, but he adopts her. Yeah. But it's very open. There's never a problem with them being gay. There's a flashback episode where we see that Cyrus was married to a woman and then he meets James and is like, I was gay all along. And then he tells Fitz, the president, and Fitz is like, all right. And everyone's just like, cool. Yeah. When he marries the prostitute, it's a White House wedding. Yeah. And there's never like controversy about him being gay. There's like controversy about him being with a prostitute. Yeah. And even then, it's not that he's a gay prostitute. It's It's just that he's a prostitute. prostitute. I still wouldn't consider Cyrus Bean to be like a queer pop culture icon. No. The weird thing about him is that he was married to a woman then he comes out as gay and they never explicitly decide whether he's gay or bi mm-hmm. because they never are his wife is like really only mentioned a couple times and they're never like yeah it was a real relationship he just then was in love with men but it's kind of because they like don't really have time to address his sexuality because they're busy like you know with all the murder and stuff yeah and then there's an interesting plot line towards the end of the series where he's like with the Trump character taking bribes and stuff but even then the plot is never like, and they're gay. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, and this other older man is hitting on him. Right. Which was also interesting. Yeah. Well, there is a moment where Melly makes him and Fenton sit together and he's like, just because we're gay? And Melly's like, 
Mm-hmm. What I will say is that I wish there were lesbians on Scandal. Aren't there? By do I saying, think Melly and Olivia are together? Yes. No, I'm like I'm trying to say, do you think that Carrie and Viola hooked up in D.C.? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. But there, there are no canonical lesbians. So in the last season, there was the daughter of the prince. Oh, yeah. Right? And then she got murdered. She didn't get murdered because she was gay. She got murdered because she Because she was, knew too much. Yeah. But they really, I would say of all the Shonda shows, Scandal is the one where they take the least sort of queer and trans, like, rights stance, you know? Oh, for sure. Because in How to Get It With Murder... They have Connor and Oliver. The girls are always shipped together. I mean, I know it's you. <laughs> I know that you have, like, a thing for, like, Michaela and... Uh, Laurel. Laurel. But, like, Carl even in the writing, it's like, mom. they sleep together when they're upset. They kissed uh, that one time. Don't think I've forgotten. <laughs> I have a screenshot of it saved on my desktop. And Grey's has become, you know, just, like, a full rainbow of characters. But then Scandal just kind of lagged behind. And maybe that's why it's not on TV anymore. How dare you? Just saying. That's maybe, so rude. Maybe if they we got, like... We have to move on. <laughs> maybe if they got a trans I do person agree. I on, I do agree like, that if Melly and Olivia had gotten together, Scandal would still be on. Oh, for sure. Canonically. Uh-huh. Because I know that they did, but... I think it's after she wins when they're drinking wine in the bathroom and one of them's in the tub. Yeah. They I had a, definitely just I have fucked. a lot of screenshots of them together <laughs> on my computer, but... So that's Scandal. <laughs> Mr. President... Cyrus, I thought you'd gone home. I was hoping to discuss something with you before I left. Sir, it's important. What is it, sir? I'm seeing someone. That's wonderful. Is this the first person you've started seeing since the divorce? It is. And it's serious? It is. Well, good for you, Cy. Do you want to tell me anything else about this person? It's a journalist... A journalist. A very uh, opinionated journalist. Is that going to be a problem? Of course not. Good, okay. That's all I wanted to say. Cyrus, are you in love? I am, sir. In love. They make me happy. Then that's all that matters. Let's move forward to real politicians. Obviously, number one most famous, Harvey Milk. Yeah. I feel bad because I will publicly admit that I have not seen Milk. That's okay because we don't support Sean Penn. I was just going to say with Sean Penn, Alison Pill is in it. And she looks crazy in it. That lesbian who in When We Rise is played by... Emily Skeggs. Yeah. I learned a lot about Harvey Milk from When We Rise, I will say. I learned a lot about Harvey Milk from Milk when I saw it. Also, I hate the word milk. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) (laughs) I hate when the drag queen Milk was on all of the seasons of Drag Race that he was on. I hated it because everyone said it differently. Milk. Milk. Yeah. There were people that said it like M-A-L-K, M-E-L-K, M-I-L-K. And I was like, okay, (laughs) there's only one way to say it, and it's M-I-L-K. Milk. 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 My parents say milk. Milk. They, milk. But they also say water. Milk. So. Milk. 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 Yeah, I say milk. 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 Yeah. Yeah, milk. <laughs> yeah. Milk. Okay. But say... Say, <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> say almond milk. Almond milk. Yeah. What? I wanted to make sure that you weren't trying to say it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Soy milk, coconut milk, yeah. Yeah. And I talk about milk a lot. Milk. This is an ad for milk? Yeah, Everybody. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's an ad for the dairy council. Milk. You say it. Milk. Milk. Yeah. Yeah. Got milk? Milk. 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 I'm crying. Milk. 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 Yeah. So no. Milk. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're having a breakdown. Milk. Anyway, so Harvey Milk. (laughs) I can't. 
can't. I can't. Okay. If you would like to find out more about Harvey, (laughs) Harvey, Mr. M, if you will, we suggest that you do not watch the movie (laughs) that is called by his last name. Enough. Enough. I can't. Okay. We just have to power through this. Sean Penn was in a movie about Harvey Milk that was good, but Sean Penn is trash, so we don't— Explain why. He, because I don't want to get DMs with people that are like, why do you true. hate why Sean, do you Penn? Sean Penn? He violently abused Madonna. Google it. The thing that is interesting about Harvey Milk is that he's— <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We, I can't tell you that anymore. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so don't watch that. What you can do is you can go watch When We Rise, which I will support to the ends of the earth. It has Mary Louise Parker in it. Rosie O'Donnell is in it. And it's like a six-part miniseries. Oh, what's his name? Austin P. McKenzie, Kevin McHale's now boyfriend, plays Cleve Jones, who is later played by... Guy Pierce. Yeah. Oh, it's written by Dustin Lance Black. Yes. That's cool. But it's actually very good. It's kind of long, but it's good. There's a lot of racial plot lines in it. There are a lot of, oh, oh, oh. Mary Louise Parker is hot in it. Charlie is in it. Charlie Carver? Yeah. Wow. He plays a sailor, a gay sailor. (gasps) Oh my. Charlie Carver's making the rounds. He's really hot in it. But Harvey was the first openly gay elected official in California. He was the seventh openly gay elected official nationwide. He was the first non-incumbent openly gay man to win an election. He actually like passed a major piece of pro-gay legislation. Oh, right. The Briggs Initiative, which was basically like teachers couldn't be gay. Like you couldn't be openly gay and be a teacher. And Harvey Milk was instrumental in making sure that it wasn't passed, which is pretty cool. Oh. Yeah. You've written into the notes, his legacy is more iconographic than ideological. Yeah. So what I think is kind of interesting about him is that when we talk about him today, we don't talk about what he stood for. We mm-hmm. talk about him as like the first openly gay elected official in California. There's not a lot of conversation about what were his political views? What did he stand for? Because he was only in office for such a short time before he was murdered. Mm-hmm. And so there are pictures of him and there are movies about him and he's in When We Rise, but he's not ever like a political figure. He's sort of like a savior of the LGBTQ plus community. Interesting, because actually in When We Rise, we never really see him. We just get a lot of like, we should support him because we're gay. Mm -hmm. Even after watching it, I have no idea like what his actual platforms were. Yeah, totally. There's a huge plot line in one of the episodes where like all of the gay men in the episodes are like helping to rally for him. And then all of the lesbians in the episode are like, he shouldn't win because he's a man. But I didn't realize that there was like a lesbian running up against him and then he ended up winning. Yeah. So everyone should watch which is, which is like barely in the movie also. There's like a huge fight in it that Emily Skeggs is trying to like get across in a way kind of the fight that we're having right now where it's like you're a white gay man who like already has so much privilege in the right. world. Let somebody else do it. But that was like during Harvey Milk's era. So like we're clearly going through that right now at a different scale. But then he ends up winning and then all of the lesbians are like, well, I guess we should like maybe be happy that he's gay. Mm-hmm. But we're still like. But it's not like uh, still representative representation for us. It's like, yeah. it's representation, but only for a small sector of the community. Yeah. And then Austin P. McKenzie is like, you should like still help us. And Emily Skeggs is like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house. The classmates would taunt the child. And the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV, and that child had several options. Staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco, and there are two new options. 
option is to go to California. Stay in San Antonio and fight. Two days after I was elected, I got a phone call, and the voice was quite young. It was from Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the person said, thanks. And you've got to elect gay people so that that young child and the thousands upon thousands like that child know that there's hope for a better world. There's hope for a better tomorrow. Without hope, not only gays, but those blacks and the Asians and the disabled and the seniors, the us's, the us's, without hope, the us's give up. I know that you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. And you, and you, and you, you've got to give them hope. Thank you very much. So speaking of only representation for a small part of the community, recently we had Danica Roem mm-hmm. elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. She is the first openly transgender person to be elected onto the Virginia General Assembly, which is a mouthful of a sentence. <laughs> and she's the first to both be elected and serve while openly transgender in any U.S. state legislature, which is cool. She's also she's in a metal band. Which is so cool. (laughs) The thing that I think is interesting is that she's still, like, very actively from Virginia. And being someone from Maryland, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) So when she was in a band, I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. The metal band is also called... Cab Ride Home, which I love. (laughs) But the coolest thing about her besides the metal band is the fact that the person she was running against was Bob Marshall, Mm -hmm. who held the office for 25 years and wrote the bathroom bill, the bathroom bill. And she defeated him as like an openly trans woman. It also happened in the midst of a whole bunch of U.S. presidential stuff. Yeah. Where it was just kind of like a lot of shit. And then all of a sudden that happened and everyone automatically stand Virginia. Yeah. And it was like a beacon of light and everyone was like, we love Dan! <laughs> in her campaign, do you remember this? The Republican Party of Virginia mailed campaign flyers attacking her and like misgendered her, but then we're like, well, but we're not attacking her gender identity. And she was like, what? <laughs> She's like, that's actually um exactly yeah. and all you're doing. It's also, it's just exciting because when you think about Virginia, you wouldn't necessarily think about it. I love Virginia. I yeah. love, Rich- I, like I've been- it's for lovers. Yeah. I love Virginia, but you wouldn't exactly think of it as like the most- progressive state in the world. Yeah. And so the fact that they did do this thing is really exciting, but also should put a little bit of shade on the rest of the country that that claims to be... Virginia did this. Yeah. Like, we're sitting here in New York, a very progressive state, but still maybe not as progressive as Virginia, apparently. (laughs) Right. It wasn't just that she won, it was how she won. Yeah. It's cool to see these people win, but it's also cool to see these people, like, destroy. Yeah. In the same election that she was elected, in Minnesota, Andrea Jenkins was the first openly trans black woman elected to public office in the United States. She's on Minneapolis City Council. We are fully aware that this happened months ago. However, it's not something that we're still talking about. Yeah, and we want to bring attention back to it. Yeah, and with all of this shit that's been going on politically, there's kind of so much to talk about that we've forgotten that this really cool thing happened. And also Danica Roem is still actively advocating for 
queer and trans people in Virginia in a way that a lot of lawmakers aren't making queer and trans people their focus. Mm -hmm. And she really is. And that's very cool. I remember when she won and then all of a sudden all of these people started popping up as they also won. Not only are these like queer politicians, but they're also people in the trans community. And I feel like the LGBT community has been like, we need something like this to happen. And it just kind of came at the right moment. And it was the right people. And it was the right way. And it was a nice moment of being like, oh, maybe the world's not going to end today. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out before we move on that Andrea won 73% of the vote. Yeah, which, which is I awesome. think is great. <laughs> yeah. It's another example of she just fucking destroyed the vote. Yeah. She didn't just win. Uh, she swept. <laughs> it wasn't a tight race. It was like no one else won this Minneapolis election. It was yeah. like Andrea Jenkins. And also, by the way, Andrea Jenkins, similarly to Danica Roem, she is a black woman and she is like really focused on black queer and trans people, mm-hmm. which is cool. Both of them are examples of what happens when you have queer and trans people in office Mm -hmm. is they like advocate. They pull others up with them. And speaking of that, we actually have an interview now, surprise, (laughs) with a Georgia lawmaker named Park Cannon. She's a member of the Georgia House of Representatives. She represents the 58th district. So we talked to her about being a queer politician, especially in the South. Yeah. And she's pretty cool. So yeah, she's really cool. So here we go. So, first of all, congratulations on being the youngest Georgia lawmaker. That's very cool. Thank you. It's been a lot of work, but it's been really fun. When did you first start getting into politics? Luckily, I had the opportunity to have an internship during my college career that allowed for me to get 101s on grassroots advocacy And that was really how I got started. It was certainly a daunting time to go into the political field because we were seeing the leaders in Georgia not truly represent the values of their constituents. So I was definitely walking towards a daunting career choice. What do you mean by not holding up the morals and values of Georgia? What would that be? Well, Georgia is 54% women at least. And yet, when I ran for office, there were only 18% women elected. Additionally, Georgia, you know, millennials make up the largest voting bloc since the baby boomers in Georgia. And yet, there are barely any millennial elected officials. Additionally, as people of color, we had just elected our first Asian man two years ago and just elected our first Latina two years ago. So we have a long way to go as far as our communities actually being represented. And without those voices at the table, we continue to see policies that are xenophobic and homophobic. We read that you choose to identify as queer. That's true, right? That's right. So what made you choose to identify as queer and did you feel like you were forced to choose a label since you're kind of at the forefront of politics? You know, the best part about our rainbow community is that it is diverse. And so I was definitely guided by community leaders who had asked me to run for office and also community members who are not in the political field about my identity. And what I ultimately had to remind myself is that as queer people, policies affect us in different ways. For example, if they are looking at amending the state adoption code and they want to allow for religious-based child-placing agencies to be a part of the state's department, that affects queer families in ways that lesbian families, in ways that bisexual families, 
in ways that transgender families cannot have the same experience of. And as much as it is wonderful to be able to speak about what our queer political platform is, you know, I know that I'm not the only one out there. And so I am always looking for more people who are willing to speak up and to speak out about what it means to be queer and in politics at this time. So do you have specific queer centric platforms or do you sort of operate under that mindset of like all platforms influence queer people differently? One of the best opportunities that we have in Georgia as it relates to amplifying the voices of queer folks in legislation is to have gender-neutral legislation. What I mean by that is if you are writing a policy that has to deal with a clinic and you're talking about the person receiving services there, they are a patient, maybe they're a client, that's what they are. There's no reason for you to legislate someone's gender identity in that experience and put in policies that say he or she may receive these services at this rate or he may be able to change their information as it relates to HIPAA by doing this. Instead, that language should reflect the true nature of that person's reason for visiting that clinic, which is to receive medical services. And so I remember just last year, one of my bills was headed to its subject committee. It was headed to the Health and Human Services Committee. And I was standing outside waiting for one of my team members to run across the Capitol to hand me my gender neutral piece of legislation because the version that they had created included gender. And I told, you know, the chairperson that I would not present a bill that was gendered. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you. That's really interesting. So what do you think is the number one misconception about being a queer politician that you want to dispel? Well, I do not identify as a politician. I identify as an activist elected official. I got my start in activism. I got my fervor for helping people through policymaking on the streets of Atlanta, making sure that our cries for justice were being heard as an activist elected official in this time who is not afraid to speak up about the need for queer voices, it is a bit of a interesting path. You know, it is one that we have not seen chartered before. And I'm so thankful that I now have a colleague in Colorado named Leslie Harrod who also identifies as queer. And so we have our own little cross-country queer caucus (laughs) that we are excited to bring new policies out of. That's That's amazing. Have you ever felt your experience in the world of activism and politics accurately represented as like a queer person of color in the media? No, unfortunately, as we look across the country, there are journalists who are willing to step out and to help us reclaim what queer means as an adjective describing a person or a group of people. But in Georgia, we see very low journalistic opportunities. We have the Georgia Voice and Project Q who are willing to share our stories from a larger media perspective. And we have Mag, who is willing to share our perspective from a creative outlet, but we literally do not have any queer-identified journalists at the state capitol. Oh, wow. 
or in City Hall. And so our policies and our need for better representation are not being heard by the mass. Well, we just wanted to let you know that even though you're all the way down in Georgia, we're up here in New York, and the things that you're doing are being noticed by the community up here. Yeah, and if we lived in Georgia, we would vote for you. (laughs) Thank you. We are seeking all of the support we can get, whether anyone wants to make phone calls from their home in New York City or is right here in Georgia and wants to door knock with us. It's very easy to sign up to volunteer yeah. on our website. So how? what is your website? How can people find ways to help you? I am so proud of the website that we have up now at Park canon58.com and I'm also really glad to announce that this year we are on Instagram <gasps> So you can catch us there. We have upgraded our social media from just Facebook and Twitter to include more platforms because we know that not only do millennials vote, but they also run for office. That's amazing. Okay, she's amazing. She's amazing. First of all, listeners, here we are in the moment saying that was an amazing interview. She's so cool. If you go to parkcanon58.com you can find ways to help her we're definitely gonna make some phone calls on her behalf this is our first political endorsement we endorse (laughs) park cannon (laughs) wow have you ever been at cvs all the time and you swipe your card and it's like would you like to donate a dollar five (laughs) dollars whatever to xyz fund and you're like no not this time you know what you can do you can take that one five dollars whatever it is that you're not giving to cvs and give it to us For one dollar. Don't give it to orphans. No. You know who needs it? Not Annie. (laughs) For one dollar, you can get us talking about shit that we don't talk about on here. For five dollars, you can get maybe some Leah Michelle videos. Yeah, that's true. Our five dollar Patreon subscribers were the first ones to get our Leah Michelle videos. Yeah, you can watch us doing things that is too inappropriate for us to put anywhere else. No, I don't like that. That sounds like we put a sex tape on Patreon. True. For $1,000, you can get some nudes. That's reasonable. I know. Head on over to patreon.com slash one more thing and uh, drop us some money and we'll be bringing it to you this season in some pretty cool ways. So the last person we're going to talk about, you all knew it was coming. We have in the studio with us today, Cynthia Nixon. Just kidding. Can you imagine? She's running for governor of New York. Have Uh, you heard? (laughs) We have her website open right here. We have it open to Cynthia on the issues. She has nine main issues. Number Number one, one. (laughs) reproductive freedom. She She likes it. (laughs) Okay. She wants to pass the Reproductive Health Act. She wants to pass a comprehensive contraception act. Love it. She wants to create a maternal mortality review board. She wants to ensure comprehensive sex ed in New York school. She wants a menstrual health equity as gender equity. Cool. She wants a government by the people, which like... We love that. Great. She wants to fix the subways. Which I love, especially because we're like an hour late to recording this episode because I was stuck on the train for an hour. If Cynthia Nixon came up and was like, I have one platform and it is to fix the subways, that would be it. I'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'll vote for an actor. Even if she had never mentioned anything else, she has like a concrete plan in place to fix the subways. If she was like, I'm going to do this, this, and this to fix the subways, ways, I would be like, fine. I don't care what else. If she came up and she was like, I have no idea how, but I but will I, only be it, focused on, on fixing this But it's the only up. thing I'm going to do, I will be like, great. Yep. Whatever, whatever you want, Cynthia. Yeah. I believe that she can do it, honestly. For those of you that don't live in New York or don't live in the U.S., the New York subway system is not as awful as D.C. However, one of the worst public transit systems. In the world. Yeah. Especially for a city that heavily relies on public transit. Yeah. One time I was on the subway and it was raining in the subway. (laughs) 
like in the car. In the car. It wasn't raining outside. It was just raining in the car. There are countless episodes through all three seasons where I am drastically late to to a recording because of some sort of train situation. It's just so awful. Remember that time there were just (laughs) frogs on the subway? She has a whole passage about how to get subways and buses moving again. She wants to modernize malfunctioning subway signals. Either they haven't in 10 years or she wants to do it in in 10 years. Replace creaky subway cars from the 1960s and 70s. She wants a fair way to pay for subway. Yes, I love that. Oh, low-income drivers. A millionaire's tax, yeah. Polluters fee. Redesign the bus network, please. I love that. All-door boarding. What's that? Beautiful, on the bus. Um, And, and... And an accessible transit network. How many times have I had to go to a different stop? Mm -hmm. Not to speak for you. <laughs> but accessibility in subways affects people in so many different ways yeah. that you wouldn't even think of. Oh, yeah. Like you me- recently moved. Yeah. And you had to relatively take into consideration that. Yeah. You like don't have access to every single stop. But also just the fact that she includes that in her main subway plan, mm-hmm. I think is incredible. I would deal with subway delays for as long as possible if she gets all of these things done yeah. in in the time. If I knew that it was for a reason, I would be mm-hmm. fine with it. Yeah. She also has on here hashtag Kumostma. Cuomo's MTA. Oh, got it. Hashtag schools, not jails. Yeah. She stands for Rent Justice for All, which is protecting over 9 million new New Yorkers from eviction, skyrocketing rents. A just transition for New York. What's which a just trans? Oh, my oh, God. It's climate change. Amazing. Legalize marijuana. Love that. I will say nowhere on here is anything about uh, the LGBT community. However. However. We do live in New York. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Cynthia Nixon is bisexual. <laughs> Which we forgot to mention. Which I have some questions about. Oh? Because there's this whole thing where... Christine Quinn. uh, Yeah. Was like... She was like... A a lazy lesbian. An unqualified lesbian. And she's made it her tagline, which, great. But now it has only taught everybody that she's a lesbian. Right. And I'm like, that's not the point. If her whole thing was that she was bisexual, and then Christine Quinn, who is, by the way, also a lesbian, says, Cynthia Nixon was opposed to having a qualified lesbian become mayor of New York City, meaning Christine Quinn. Now she wants an unqualified lesbian to be the governor of New York. You have to be qualified and have experience. She isn't qualified to be the governor. And then, yeah, Cynthia Nixon was like, yep, I'm an unqualified lesbian. I'm going to make shirts with it. It's my whole thing. And I think it's weird that she so immediately was just like dropped the bisexual thing. I think it's interesting that she didn't decide to take the stance of like, I'm actually not a lesbian. I'm bisexual. And that's a thing everyone should learn. Yeah. That being said, Cynthia is not on the ballot yet because we're not there yet. right. So we are very early in the stages of her being governor. However, there is a lot of pushback on her being governor because of our current president being also from, you can say, the Hollywood network. Yeah. (laughs) Which I can agree with. I understand, and I absolutely agree with. Yep, it definitely is going to take a lot for me to be like, let's put another... Hollywood person. Yeah. yeah. And Cynthia is actually doing a really smart thing where she, whenever someone asks her about that, she brings up Glenda Jackson, who was a member of parliament for 30 years and then came back and won a Tony like <laughs> two months ago. Yeah. So instead of referencing the president, she references that about somebody that can do it and did it well, which I think is a good idea <laughs> not to compare. But Cynthia's fame is a little more explicit than his, like what he's known for. Yeah. 
because of the nature of Sex in the City. So, like, when I think of Sex in the City, I think of, like, that sexy show that my mom watched growing up. And then I eventually watched later when I realized that I was gay. Cynthia Foley has, like, full-out sex scenes with men in it. And I can see conservative people in New York being like, do we really want this right. woman from the HBO show to, like, be the governor of New York? But on the other hand, you have this guy who's the president who did, like, yeah. actual real things that are awful and has said like real things that are awful in real life. I think the two can be compared but are at the end of the day very different. Well, I think also people who support him would say that Trump is doing a good job as president. He is doing a good job of getting policies enacted. They're just horrible, hateful policies. Yeah, it's something that he definitely learned because I remember at the beginning, everything that he wanted to do was met with like, nope. And now it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And we're like... Yeah. It's as if. Which is what gives me hope for Cynthia Nixon. In what way? We have this person in the White House who is one of the worst people alive. And he is. I can't believe this is an NPR podcast. I know. (laughs) He is enacting policies. They are horrible, hateful, discriminatory policies Mm -hmm. that are not good for the economy and are not good for the environment and are not good for, like, people. But he is enacting them. Uh And he is able to use government to his advantage, Mm -hmm. having never been a part of government before. Mm -hmm. Cynthia, I believe, can also learn to use government for her advantage. And because her policies are more Mm -hmm. like people focused, the good of the world focused. Right. And his are more like the good of us billionaires focused. But if you ask me right now, today, if I'm voting for Cynthia Nixon, I would say probably, but I really don't know. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) I guess I guess this is now 2018 Cynthia watch. <laughs> if the comparison is with Donald Trump, I see almost no overlap. <laughs> so Donald Trump is first and foremost a real estate developer, a corrupt real estate developer at that. Thank you. Uh, somebody who inherited his money and his business from his father. That couldn't be farther from me. I'm a person who grew up in New York with a single mom and a five-flight, one-bedroom walk-up. I'm a person who started acting when I was 12 in order to pay for college because my family couldn't afford it. And I don't think that celebrity is necessarily a bad thing in politics. It just, it gives you a platform and it depends on what you do with that platform. So for me, for the last almost two decades, I've been fighting for LGBTQ equality and women's rights and women's health, and most especially for New York State public schools and more better funded public schools and particularly more equally funded public schools. And does the name Ronald Reagan ring a bell? (laughs) Or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Or Arnold, yeah. And I I do think there is an extra level of for women running for office, an extra, we, we, we are much more encouraging about men being ambitious. And I think the toxic political climate means that when women run for office, celebrity or not, yeah. immediately their, their qualifications, but also their motivations yes. are questioned and, and indicted. But I think that, that if we really, it's one of the reasons we have so few women in political office, but that's changing and it needs to change because we see women all across this country standing up to say, me too, and time's up for sexual harassment. We see the women's marches. You and I were at that one together. And we really see women running for office across this country because they believe what I believe, which is that if we really want to bring change, we have to be the ones who are going to bring it. That's right. So we had another game planned for today, but instead we're just going to call everyone we know until we find someone who says milk. (laughs) (laughs) It's wildly more important than what we had planned. So should we just cold call people? Sure. Okay, we'll start with Tessa. Here we go. Hey. What's up? How do you say the thing that cows make? Milk. Yes! <laughs> Thank you. Instead of milk? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
milk? Is there another way to say it? Milk? <laughs> this is a weird question. Milk? 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 Milk. Oh my god. Okay, I say milk. <laughs> Just like a milk mouth kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> it's always milk, always has been milk, and always will be milk until we all disappear off the face of the earth. Here. Yes. Milk? 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 That's all I needed. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Bye. Milk? Bye. What? When Tessa asked me this question, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was moo. Milk. Milk? I don't say milk like the weird people in the world. Wow. <laughs> Strong stance. Okay. Milk? Or more cows? <laughs> more cows? What? Like they make more cows. <laughs> milk? Milk? This is so bizarre because I was just listening to your podcast. Well, well we're recording it. <laughs> You're on it right now. Oh, really? How do you say the thing that cows make? Milk? Oh my god, what's going on? <laughs> I hate you. I'm at work right now. I can't talk. I, I literally get out in 10 minutes, okay? Can you just real quick say the thing that cows make? Milk? Okay, bye. I love getting texts with people that are like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> hey, what's up? Hi, how do you say the thing that cows make? Oh, milk. Ah, I did it! <laughs> Thank you, I'll text you, bye! Oh my god. <laughs> oh. oh, listeners! <laughs> Jesus! That was Kaylee Trykowski from Highland Park, Illinois. Oh. Thank you for listening to this episode of One More Thing. <laughs> Before we go, tweet at us videos of you saying milk. <laughs> We would love to see it. And if we called you and you didn't get to be on the show. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> hashtag milk challenge. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag one more milk. Add us. Hashtag it. Make a video. Tweet it at us. Please. Thank you to Park Cannon, to Tessa Lee, to 440 Studios, to Megan Burnett, to Stephanie for the pictures, to iTunes and Spotify. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Well, we can't even. Honestly, we'll see you next time. Follow uh, us on social media. Uh, bye. bye. None of our friends answer. Hey, guys. Sorry. This, this, is, <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> okay, what we're learning is that our friends hate us <laughs> can't believe everyone's busy at 3 p.m on a monday yeah that's so fucking weird <laughs> how dare they <laughs> this would be amazing if no one answers i'm mad <laughs> why is anyone your call has been forwarded to a- your call has been forwarded uh. this is shocking your call has been forwarded to an automatic hmm. she better fucking answer are you kidding me why is no one available call has been forwarded to bitch Hi, you've reached Price Walden. I can't take your... Ugh, are you kidding you me? You would sound so good. What are all these people doing? That's so important. Why don't we have any friends? Not work. <laughs> what? You have reached the voicemail box of 911. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 911. Damn it. Direct to voicemail. Shocking. Whoa. She was not going to let us even try it. If he answers, hi, daddy, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Realizing how many people I hate in my contacts. I know. I don't like any of these people. She's unemployed, so she must. She has to answer. Please leave your message for two. Nope. Your call has been forwarded through an automatic voice message. Whoa. Cold. <laughs> okay. Cold. 
What note is it? <laughs> I feel like she actually might say it weirdly. Your call has been okay. Fuck I see. <laughs> call my uh, therapist. Sure. She'd be like, "Hello." <laughs> Oh, this is good. Hey, this is Gabby. Sorry, I missed your call. Are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck is this bullshit? Why does everyone hate us? It's so rude. 